come redeem my life. I was talking to the young people here, and, um, and the nice people at the back very kindly had me on low volume or something like that. Thank you. I, I always worry about this because um, there have been times when um, my... Um, it's still on the sound system, and people come and share their deepest prayer requests with me after service, and, and so I have to be careful to switch it off, um, or like before the service. Welcome. I see some new faces. Welcome to Redeemer Life. Um, I, and uh, I don't want to put you on the spot because um, I'm, th- this is a very welcoming church, and we... Uh, but we want to make sure that you feel welcomed appropriately. So welcome, welcome to Redeemer Life. It's going to be a special service today and, uh, and next week and um, the following week. Um, and um, after that, um, in the first two weeks of January, after the 30th of uh, December, I think the 30th of December, I'm flying out to to India where I'm teaching in this PhD program. Um, You guys are getting the most awesome speakers in the whole world in the first two weeks of uh, January. Uh, Altizan, who is the head of um, Covenant World Missions, also called Serve Globally, is speaking on the 12th of January. And I think one of the most important professors of New Testament studies um, will be speaking uh, on the 5th of January, Max Lee. Max Lee is a very important New Testament scholar. So you'll be getting some amazing people um, speaking here. Um, and, and do pray for, um, do pray for, um, uh, uh, for India. There is a lot of... Um, not so good news coming out of India, and I'm, I'm sorry I have to give you this not so good news every, every Sunday so that we pray about um, uh, different parts of the world, India, China, Hong Kong, um, and, and all of these places. There is a new law that is passed in India um, which um, offers um, fast-track citizenship to, um, to only Hindus. So if you're a minority person, you cannot apply for it, especially if you're Muslim. Very clearly, I've been told that you cannot apply for citizenship. Um, and um, there have been qu- quite a number of laws that have been passed in more recent times which are anti-minority, anti-Islam, anti-Christian, um, tribal, and uh, it's raised a lot of... Um, angst among people, but that has never been new for, for Christianity. People that have sought to follow Jesus have always gone through rough times. But I, I'm going to request you to pray for, um, for Yeshu Darbar at the university called Shuatz University that I'll be going to in early January. Um, I was thinking about it as we were giving our offerings, um, and it is, um, it's an amazing um, scene on the banks of this holy river called Yamuna, where thousands of villagers will come, and while um, the worship and song is going on, which is, you know, songs that have been composed by them, um, very beautiful songs, 
There'll be people that'll come up, and, and these are poor villagers, and they'll bring the first fruit of their ground that they have sowed, um, whatever it is, whether it be wheat or barley or, or whatever they're growing, uh, and then they'll bring um, uh, grains of wheat in, in bags. These are poor people. They don't have money. But they'll bring grains of wheat, and, and there'll be this huge bin here, and they will come and put it in that and spend some time in prayer. It's so fascinating to see whole villages uh, come up, especially the women. They'll come and give their testimony as to what happened two days ago, how God healed them, and how God drove out that um, uh, that goddess out of their village, and they have found freedom in Jesus. Uh, while, of course, fundamentalist Hindu um, uh, leaders are sitting there because they want to hear what all is going on. But these, these people are not scared. Um, there'll be Islamic imams who will come up, come up front and talk about how Jesus has changed their life. And they would say things like, come to our masjid, uh, this week, because we want to talk about Jesus, uh, and you will learn about Jesus in our mosque. This is fascinating. So I would encourage you to, to pray, to pray for what's going on in the world, especially during this week, that the gospel would be proclaimed in its entirety, because that's what Jesus um, came down to earth for, right? That's the that is the story of Christmas. That is the message of Christmas, um, which goes much beyond how we understand Christmas to be in the giving of gifts and, and the such. Today is also going to be another special day. Um, uh, a choir will be joining us. Um, there will be two sets of people coming together. Um, um, our choir... Um, 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 uh, um, the adult choir led by um, the Reichenbachs, and then there'll be another group of people from a sister church called Lakeview Presbyterian Church that'll be joining us toward the end of the service. So this is going to be fascinating. Next week will be fascinating as well. It's called our special um, Lessons in Carol service. So we're singing, singing carols, reading from the scriptures, and... Um, I'll speak for maybe five to seven minutes or something like that. But it's going to be this beautiful time of worship. Um, I do want to underline a, a couple of other things. One is, you know, I want to thank those of you who came yesterday. Yesterday, quite a good group came from, from Redeemer Life to Barbara's uh, bookstore. We had a nice gathering. There were other people that came who heard about it somehow and... Um, joined us, and my hope is that they would uh, come to Redeemer Life so that they find the Redeemer. Um, this is uh, pretty good. Am I hearing my own voice? or Okay. This was like the angel Gabriel descended. <laughs> I'm so thankful to the Mendozas. Wasn't it such so great to, for them to read the scriptures, for us to be reading the scriptures as a family. I'm going to request your prayers for Becky. She goes in for surgery on the 19th. I think she is with the young people right now, 19th. Very specially keep that in mind that 
everything would go well and that she would heal well. Uh, we also have good news from, uh, from, from others. Sophia got her results back and she is, um, and it's good news that there is no cancer. So thank God for that. Isn't that wonderful? So God answers prayers. God answers prayers. Um, uh, do um, continue to pray for Bob, um, that he would continue to heal well. Are there other prayer requests that we need to be mindful of? Um, anyone? Dr. Brian? <laughs> Any prayer requests from you? Pray for a job, yes, yes. Let's pray that God would bring him back to Chicago. Let's pray for a job here in Chicago, nowhere else. Is that all right? <laughs> well, but aren't, isn't God about praying dangerous prayers? Let's pray in faith. <laughs> Trinity, how about that? <laughs> right? Okay. Um, Let's turn to uh, Luke chapter 1. I am um, always looking for new translations, as you all know. I have no idea why. But I did get this Bible that is um, a study Bible. I often do not go for a study Bible that's done by one person. But this is a very special man of God. His name is Tony Evans. Have you, um, has, have you heard Tony Evans? Tony Evans and I have known each other for millions of years. Well, at least 35 years. I was one year old. He was one when we met each other. Um, Tony and his wife, Lois, came to our house. Um, we had a huge, huge... Um, outreach in Delhi, in the main stadium of Delhi, the national stadium. And Tony was our uh, uh, guest speaker. He came from Dallas because he was close friends with uh, my fellow pastor, whose name is Ramesh Richard, and teaches at Dallas Theological Seminary, um, has been teaching there for a long time now. Tony came, and he came to our house my wife and I, where we were this young married couple with, I think, one baby. Yes, one kid. And they came for breakfast to our house, and we made the best Punjabi breakfast we could ever think of. And they were so kind to come and eat with their fingers. And, you know, we told them, no, no, no fork and knives. No, this is not the way we do it. God has given us these forks, and these are beautiful. Don't you think so? Why do we use fork and knives? I don't know. God's given us hands. So they came and they ate. Um, and, 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 and this is a, a new study Bible which has just come out. It's just come out. It's a new translation of the Bible also called the Christian Standard Bible. So I'm going to try to use this for a little bit. Anyways, New International Version we will read in church. English Standard Version is good as well. English is um, a useless language, but we have, no, we have no choice but to read it in English. Um, so would you turn with me to Luke chapter 1? We, we, we are going through a series. Um, 
which is examining uh, the whole idea of calling, hearing God's voice. What is God's voice saying to us? And, and if we are not in the habit of listening to God's voice, may I encourage you to do so? Sometimes maybe we're not hearing God's voice because we are all besides ourselves and out of sorts. We don't come to this place where we hear God's voice, sometimes audibly, sometimes, uh, uh, sometimes through other people, but, but really it should be through God's Word. And if, God, if it's not commensurate with God's Word, then we have to question what we are hearing. Um, but it's crucial to know what is our vocation, what is our calling? What is the voce of God saying to us? So would you, um, what are some of the lessons that you get from the text that was read so beautifully to us from um, Luke chapter, um, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, Mary's calling? What are some of the things that come to your mind? There is, uh, if you have your Bibles open, it's Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and onwards. Oh, there it is. It's there on the screen as well. That's magic, right? It just appears. Um, Luke chapter 1. Six months, right? Six months after what? Six months after what is the question. What do you think? Can I ask you, young people, since you're sitting right up here in front, something else happened before this. Oh, that's not right for me to ask you because you were not here last week, right? You were in those other places. Um, is it mine? Are you sure? I do not have an iPad here. Really? You think it's this? No, it's something else. This is always on silent. Oh, it's, is it that? Oh, it is that. Oh, so sorry. That was indeed the voice of the angel Gabriel. <laughs> sorry, angel Gabriel. <laughs> okay. It does come through devices these days. It's, it's rather dangerous, right? You never know. You're sleeping and suddenly from the computer these voices come. I really find it eerie when people in my house, they talk to this person. Do you know what's her name? Her name is Siri. And she listens to them. Can you believe it? So I said, let me try it. And I tried it and Siri wouldn't hear a single word of what I said. That's... And then I asked them, why is Siri not listening to me? And they said, Siri doesn't want to listen to you. Um, so, thank you. Um, so, what are some of the things that um, we learn from Mary's calling? Six months after something happened, and we talked about that last time, where uh, the angel Gabriel um, appears to... Um, to Zachariah, and, and then his wife, who's really, really old, 
conceives. She's seized by this moment, and she delivers a child. But she's six months pregnant now, and that's what, that's what this is referring to. Um, uh, the angel Gabriel. The word Gabriel also is a very interesting word because the word Gabriel, the word Gabar means someone who is strong by the power of God. Giber, Gibera. It can refer to both men as well as to women. Um, but in this case, it is, it's this angel called Gabriel who appears and gives Mary her calling and so what we want to do is to see what are the lessons that we can draw from Mary's calling, and then what are the lessons that we can draw from the calling of perhaps another Mary from the Bible. Because the word, the, the word that uh, Luke uses to refer to Mary uh, is different from the word that is used in Matthew and in the book of Mark. And um, in, in those other books, she is called Marias, Marias. Here she is called Miriam. And the whole idea here is, scholars will tell you, the whole idea here is that um, the book of Luke is asking people to consider the other Marys of the Bible. And especially, a special Mary, who was the sister of a band by the name of Moses, and she was called Miriam. Do you remember that? And so that's what the book of Luke is trying to do. And a lot of scholars will say that, 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 that in all probability, Luke was, was the only one whose, whose mother was Jewish from a far-flung area. Uh, maybe it was Nazareth, we don't know. But father was... Uh, a Gentile, and he's always considering the whole idea of, of Mary's, which means suffering, which means bitterness. And so you find um, the, um, the, the book of Luke engaging with this whole idea, this whole idea of bitterness and suffering, an idea that, of course, the, the religions of that time were also engaging with, religions that are called Gnosticism. And if you ask, if you ask a Gnostic, um, why is this happening to the Marys? Why is, it, why, why is a person blind? Why is a person a paraplegic? Why, why is a person in, in this situation? Why does sickness happen? Why does poverty happen? They would say that, well, it's just a figment of their imagination. Because there is only one reality, and that reality is an impersonal principle called logos. And I want you to keep that in mind because there is that word that will be used now in this text as well. Usually the word logos in the Bible refers to the fact that, for example, John will say, yes, you think there is this divine principle called logos? That is not it. What it is, is this Jesus. This Jesus is logos. The word logos becomes flesh and dwells among us. And, um, and so that is the idea that you find in, in the book of um, in the book of John and in the book of Luke as well. Um, 
And, and, and the idea is, who, who am I? There's five questions, right, that we need to respond to, and we've talked about that before, so let me go over that again. One is the question of, who am I? Who, what are we as Redeemer Life Church? Who am I? Who are we? Unless we know who we are, unless we know our calling, we don't know how to relate to other people. Um, and that's true of all relationships, isn't it? You know, when, two, when a couple gets married, if you don't know who you are, then you're, you're entering into a very troubled relationship. Who am I? Who are we? The second question is, who is God? And, and Luke will answer that question uh, on the basis of, of the calling of Mary that we see now. Who is God? What kind of a God is it? Is it the kind of God that is the God of Madison and the Gnostic people who is up there and just a spiritual force, uh, uh, just a principle? Or is this God reality who reveals himself to, to Miriam in the Old Testament, to Moses in the Old Testament, and so reveals himself to us? In this little baby boy, in this little baby boy called Jesus. The third question is the question of condition. What is human condition? What are the people struggling with in our society? We need to know that. Before we come to the fourth question and offer people the solution that is found in the message of the Gospels. In Jesus. And the fifth question then is the question of human destiny. Where are we heading? And it seems to me that all of those five questions are responded to in this passage. So let's begin with, with the first verse that was read to us, uh, which talks about, which takes you back to, to what happens in the earlier part of Luke 1, where um, Elizabeth who is really old, conceives. She conceives. And it says here, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. What? Nazareth? If you talk to people in those days, they'll tell you, what? where is this Nazareth? You know, you and I hear about it because we hear about the gospel stories all the time. But the point of the matter is that God's calling always comes in those what are regarded as God-forsaken places. God's calling comes, comes to people. People who are called do not come from the who is who. They do not come from Washington, D.C. Or, or some of those kinds of places, or even Chicago, they come from places that are supposedly God-forsaken places. Nazareth is that place where, where, where the most insignificant people live. Even today, you know, I was, I was kind of lost when I was driving in a, a, toward Nazareth, and I, I kept stopping and asking people, you know, which, which direction is Nazareth? And they're looking at me like, where do you come from? Where is Nazareth? In this day and age, especially when you know that this is the place where Jesus was reared, people ought to know that, right? For one, people are so scared to talk to people like me, you know, who's this person? He does not speak um, 
proper Arabic, does not speak proper Hebrew, and so they were probably scared of talking to me. But they don't know where's Nazareth. In those times, when the text says that Mary and Joseph are living in this place called Nazareth, that is the place where the Word of God descended and lived. And so what's the Gospel of Luke saying to us? The, the whole idea that if you and I think that we are something, it may be that God's not going to use us. Why? Because all we want to portray is ourselves. But if we come to God and we say, Lord, I come from an insignificant place, I am insignificant, I'm nothing. That's when God is going to use us. Otherwise, we obliterate the Son of God. We obliterate, obliterate the message of God. So that's the first lesson that we learned from the calling of Mary. She comes from Nazareth of, of Galilee, that good-for-nothing place. Then as we go on here, it goes on to say, and twice the, the word virgin is mentioned. Virgin. To a virgin who's engaged to a man called Joseph, who's off the house of David. But of course, why is he in Nazareth, you know, if he's from the house of David? Um, and then again it says, the virgin's name was Mary. And what Luke wants to do is to say, that she was a virgin. She was a virgin. What? Virgin? There are no virgins in Nazareth. They're not virgins in those God-forsaken places because that's where the Roman soldiers do. And they grab them as slaves. Whether they're 12 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old, whoever they are. But the fact that she was a virgin was a miracle. People who are called by God, somehow we don't know. We don't know how, but are protected for his purposes. And here's this one girl. Think about her. She was a middle schooler. She may have been 12. She may have been 13. We don't know. But God protected her. God protected her. She was a... Parthenos is the Greek word that's used there. Of course, the other girls were taken away by the Roman soldiers. But there's one girl that somehow, we don't know how, was protected so that she would be the bearer of God's good news to the world. His good news of salvation. And then verse 28, as you keep on going here, says, and, and the angel, which means messenger, we talked about that last time, came to her and said, in a lot of translations it says greetings, greetings, or, you know, some tra older translations will say hail. I think it misses the whole point again. Um, the, the word greetings is, I think, a rather benign term. The, the, the Greek word that's used there is the word chairo, chairo, which means rejoice, rejoice. It's, it's also related to, um, to the word from which we get the word grace. So, so the next word that's used there is generally translated as 
favored woman or something like that, favored one. Um, that is the word, grace, the one who's given, the, the one who has experienced God's grace. And both of those words, they are a play on each other. So it's rejoice. It's, it's the same word that's often used throughout the Bible when people are perturbed. So for example, when Jesus um, w- w- had risen from the dead, all these disciples of his were, were all disturbed and, and suddenly Jesus appeared out of nowhere. He appeared right in front of them and these people said, one of these women come to us and they say he's not there in the tomb and now he appears before us so they're scared. They're absolutely petrified. And then Jesus says, Kairos, rejoice. It's like Jesus is saying, I want to set your I want to set your mind at rest so that right in the midst of perplexity, you would know the joy of the Lord. You would know um, the presence of God. Throughout the Bible, that word chairo is going along with the word grace, and it goes along with times when people are perplexed. And, and, and petrified. The next word that's used there is a very interesting word. Verse 29 says, but she was deeply troubled. She was deeply troubled. That's that, the, a word that means she was discombobulated. She was like, oh, I don't know who I am. Though those are the times, whenever you and I are in times of perplexity and we are anxious and our heart is going boom putty, boom putty. We don't know what's going to happen. We can't go to sleep. Those are the times that God breaks through. And in some senses, those are good times. If you and I have an easy life, we wouldn't want to depend on God. But here is Mary. She is troubled. And troubled situations can have two opposite consequences. One, you can go into depression. You can also go into, you and I can go into depravity. So think about the time when, when Herod the Great heard this news from the Magi. We're not going to do that text right now, but that's found in Matthew chapter 2. Do you remember that? The Magi come, how many were there? We talked about it. They could have been 500. We don't know. It's just a plural noun. They came and they said, Where is he? Where is he? We know that the king who is to save the whole world is born right around your place. And then it says, Herod and the whole city was highly, highly discombobulated and perplexed. And Herod says, what is this? I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to kill all the baby boys. So being troubled is not a bad thing. It can lead to two consequences. In the case of Mary, she was troubled. She was troubled. But look at what she does. This is exactly the opposite of what what Herod does. Because it goes on to say she was deeply troubled by the statement. And then she wondered what what kind of a, a, a good news this is. And the angel says to her, do not be afraid, you troubled one, you suffering one, Miriam, for you have found grace, Haros, you have found grace with God. 
got an amazing thing, right? Remember she's 12 years old. 13. She's a kid. But she is able to handle it. And, and sometimes I think kids are able to handle stuff a lot better than adults are. Because we have this whole, you know, lifetime of all kinds of things uh, added to our lives. And, and then sometimes I talk about um, um, wedding situations, for example. You know, I, I'll have students who are like 21 years old and, and they're ready to get on with life and they'll come, come to me and say, you know, I'm really in love with this young lady, I'm really in love with this young guy and, you know, do you think we can get married? And, but of course I tell them that you've got to go through counseling and stuff like that, but they're willing to jump into that. But then something happens when we get older, you know. We, we are 40 years old and 50 years old and stuff like that. And we are thinking about 101 different things. We're not willing to jump into it. Mary was willing to see what did God have in mind. What is it? This seems perplexing. This seems discombobulating. This seems per uh, rather deeply troubling. But I'm willing to go with whatever God has in mind. And so the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, says to her, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You'll call his name Yeshua. What Yeshua? This is God with us. What do you mean? But she was willing to go there. She was willing to go there even though she did not understand everything. And that's probably a very important principle for us to gain from, from this because in many senses we don't need to know everything. If we know everything, we will never take the second step forward. You ran the marathon, right? If right at the beginning of the 26.2 miles you're going to say, I'm not going to be able to do this. You're done. You are, you're not going to be running any further, but it's one step at a time. So I don't understand everything, but I'm going to do this. Lord, if this is your will, I am going to do this. And that's what Mary was willing to do. And that's what those people who truly listen to the call of God do. Because she says, that the, the, the angel says to her, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you, Mary. Um, even though you don't understand it. Even though you don't experientially come to grips with it. God is with you. Does that remind you of a verse in the Bible? These passages that have been read to us. God with us. Emmanuel. God with us. That's the name of Jesus. And then she goes on to listen to God's voice. To listen to the word of God and and, and then this, this Mary, this, this little 12, 13-year-old girl decides to travel 90 miles. Think about it. That wasn't the first time she made that journey with Joseph. She goes all by herself to go and see for herself what's going on. 90 miles of very, very treacherous journey. 
In our Bible, it goes from one verse to the next, and we don't realize what's happened in between. We don't know what all happened in between. I mean, there were, there were people who were called zealots. There were people who were robbers. That was a very treacherous road, but she goes because she wants to see for herself, and she goes and encounters her cousin, whose name is Elizabeth. Of course, Elizabeth comes from the priestly family. So do you see that in the book of Matthew? Joseph is portrayed, and Joseph comes from the kingly family of David. Mary comes from the priestly family of Aaron. And here there is Elizabeth, and there is Zechariah, and she encounters Aaron. She encounters um, um, Elizabeth. She encounters, obviously, her husband, Zechariah, as well. And look at what the verses say here. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her. Don't you like that? I mean, men will never know that, right? This is so powerful. And that's one of the reasons why we need to realize that the baby that is conceived is a real human being. This is no fetus that you can do to whatever you want to. The baby leaped inside her womb. She says, she says when Elizabeth, the, the text says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, because your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord... That's very crucial because throughout the Gospels you'll find that this person who's, bo who's born, who's going to be born in this case, is no ordinary person. This is the Old Testament name for God. The mother of my Lord should come to me, for you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy. That's again that word, charis. Inside me, the baby leaped for joy in my womb, literally. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what has spoken to her. And that's another lesson that we should draw from the life of Mary here. She was willing to believe. That's the life of faith, isn't it? You and I, the only way we can understand Christmas and have God use us in great ways is to come to the realization that it's going to be a life of faith. So seven lessons here from, from the life of Mary, from the calling of Mary. I want to very quickly read to you um, seven more lessons that I've written in an article that has it was published just last week in a magazine called Mutuality. What I try to do is I, I, I took poetry from different parts of the Bible. What you'll notice is it's always poems that are sung by women. 
Genesis chapter 3, and then you come to Exodus chapter 15 when there is a poem which is sung by Miriam, the sister of Moses. Then 2 Samuel chapter 1, there's a song that is sung by Hannah. These are all songs that are related to this song, which is called the Magnificat, which was read so very well by, uh, by the Mendozas. The, the, the Mendoza's young people, in which Mary says, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on all those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arms. With, with her, he has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of his hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He he has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he has spoken to our ancestors. So very quickly, let me read you what are the seven lessons that I've learned from here. The first one I call the womb principle, where this is an act of God's mercy. The second principle is the Magnificat principle, where no matter what happens, both Miriam in the Old Testament and the Mary of the New Testament, they praise God because He alone is glorious. The third principle is what I call the Yeshua principle, where you and I don't know how it's going to happen, but God's salvation will descend among us. Fourthly, the hope principle, where they both hoped that God will bring to being what we can't imagine ourselves. Fifthly, the strength principle, where you are able to, you may be weak. Think of all the Marys of the world. You may be weak, but God will give his strength. And then the empowerment principle where all the horses and the riders, all the kings of the world may come against you, but God will enable you to prevail. And the seventh principle is what I call the resting principle, and I want to end with that. Look at this. Verse 56 says, And Mary remained with Elizabeth for three months. Think of all the conversations they would have had. There's a sense of quietness there. That word that's used there in Greek is the word meno, where you come to this place of restfulness and you say, I don't know how this is going to happen, but you and I, sister, are going to see this happen. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he is going when he was about to go back to heaven, he comes to his disciples and he says, abide in me and you'll find rest. So those seven principles, keep those in mind. Mary exhibited those. Mary was willing to believe. Mary was willing to, to just commit her whole life to God, even though she couldn't understand everything. And then she goes to Elizabeth and remains with her.